All right. Howdy, y'all. There we go. My mic seems to be working a little better now. Oh, man. That's working much better. All right. So, howdy, y'all. Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Texas with episode number 43. I am your host, Michael Mitchell. So, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow. I believe it's tomorrow. Uh, and I hope that everyone that celebrates it, um, you know, that has grand plans, is surrounded by family or loved ones or doing whatever you do on Thanksgiving Day. Um, back home in Texas, it's in the low to mid-60s. It'll be slipping into the 50s and 40s for highs over the weekend. Um, you know... But I'm sure you guys just noticed and thought, huh, he just said back home in Texas. That's right. Because I'm not back home in Texas. I'm in Cannon Beach, Oregon. So I'm sure many of y'all are going, why? (laughs) Why are you in Oregon in November? Well, that's a great question. And that's because my sister and her family live there in Oregon. And we decided to go visit them. We hadn't seen them in a while. So they travel and explore, you know, quite a bit. And they said, hey, why don't you guys, so my family and and our parents, why don't you guys fly up to Portland? We'll come up and get you and take you somewhere cool. Now, you know, my little sister knows what a tightwad I am. And so when I looked at plane tickets to go to Eugene, where they live, versus Portland, where they were talking about picking us up, uh, Portland is significantly cheaper, and uh, I went, I'm in. So, <laughs> the other part, too, is we've already been to Oregon, or, uh, Eugene. We've seen their house and everything, and it's a beautiful place, beautiful city. And uh, so, we've already been there, but they said, hey, let's go somewhere else that we really love. So, let's head out to Cannon Beach. And so, Cannon Beach, the weather temperature-wise is pretty much roughly the same as it is back home except there's a lot more rain so who knows maybe uh maybe we'll get to sit on the back porch of this place and do some whale watching or something i'm not sure i don't know what she got for us so anyway have you ever heard a local story or legend and you think is there really any truth to that And then you pull up the old interwebs and boom, there it is in black and white. Well, I have, and I'm here to tell you that these two tales that I've heard personally and kind of made me go down the rabbit hole a little bit on doing the research. And I'm going to bring these stories to you here. These two stories involve a chimpanzee and an elephant in some kind of unlikely places. <laughs> so there's the hook. Hope you all liked it. I'm going to stick with it here. I know Michael Badalino will because he says he listens to these. He's our he's one of our new uh, city councilmen. And uh, anyway, he says that uh, he listens to this while he's weightlifting. So hopefully, Michael, you hear these stories and you don't get to uh, laughing so hard that you can't do your weightlifting. <laughs> Anyway, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, as always. 
me and American Mortgage Company. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas and, of course, now Oklahoma, since I'm licensed there. And I know a lot of you guys know these people, too, so let me help them out. As an independent mortgage loan originator, um, I get to shop around, find you guys the best rates, um, and really try pretty hard to make that process as easy as possible. We, uh, we do say that we do it faster, cheaper, and easier than going the other route with getting a mortgage. So you know what? If you're going to go through this process of buying a house, why don't you work with somebody who's at least a little entertaining and works hard to make that process faster, cheaper, and easier? Somebody like me. And of course, if you're not in Texas or Oklahoma or your friends, you know, moving to Texas or Oklahoma, go check out the website findamortgagebroker.com. It's a, it's a great place to go find other mortgage loan originators like me um, across the United States. So there you go. If you know someone moving to Texas or Oklahoma, send them my way. The TheMichaelMitchell.com, T-H-E, MichaelMitchell.com. Let me help them out. Coincidentally, that's where you can go find contact information for me to send me other ideas and stories for this here podcast. Remember when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. <laughs> All right, so I'm with some friends um, in our local improv comedy troupe with Backdoor Theater, right here in Wichita Falls. And uh, a recently retired friend of mine, Nona, who's an amazing person, has always loved elephants. She's talked about elephants since I've known her, um, which has been, I don't know, eight or ten years now. And she's always talked about wanting to see elephants and just be around them. And, and so anyway, she recently retired. She loves elephants. And uh, she had taken a trip to an elephant sanctuary um, that has cabin rentals and stuff right there in the right there in the big fat middle of everything in uh, Hugo, Oklahoma. It was apparently an amazing trip for her, just kind of the trip of a lifetime. Um, one of the elephants brought her breakfast on a platter and it held it with her trunk. And uh, then she got to feed the elephants. Um, she got to hear them trumpet, got to pet them. I mean, the whole thing just was like really the experience of a lifetime for her. And, and I was super happy for her. It was amazing hearing the story. Um, but of course, you know, I had to ask if, you know, she saw lions and tigers and bears and monkeys and stuff. And, uh, she called me a smart ass, which to be honest, happens quite often in conversations with her. And, uh, anyway, we moved on, but it got me thinking, uh, it, it got the old memory banks working a little bit and got me thinking about two stories that I've heard over my time here in Wichita Falls, and I want to share those with you here. I think you'll find them interesting. So I would like to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I got some of my information from uh, Wikipedia, which happens, um, which is always true, of course. Check your sources. Um, but part of it I also got from the North Texas Farm and Ranch Magazine, which is a great magazine. You can find them online. I think it's ntfr.com, something like that. North Texas Farm and Ranch. <clears throat> Their magazines are out all over the place. They're free normally when you can find them. 
Um, it's it's just amazing. And then the other one, the always amazing Texas Escapes website. So check them out if you get a chance. They've got all kinds of cool stuff on there. Um, but yeah, I wanted to give credit where credit's due. So let's jump into this first story. So Mankins, Texas. Mankins is an Archer County, which most of Archer County is right here south of Wichita County. But it does kind of wrap up a little bit in the uh, southwest corner. And uh, there's a little tiny town called Mankins. And so here's a little history. So the area settled around 1889 and 1890, the Wichita Valley Railway comes through, which is now a, a trailway because um, the train doesn't run out there anymore. Um, so you can go hiking on it. It's kind of cool. So the Wichita Valley Railway comes through. It builds a station in Mankins to load grain. And of course, as most Western towns, a church is built. It was originally named the Lazarus Switch. And a ranch is bought by Charles Mangold in 1908, who then built a store and a hotel kind of by this railroad switch, grain station, whatever. So it was built a mile south of the actual ranch headquarters because it was close to the train station, obviously. The town is named after Tom Mankins, who was the foreman for this nearby Lazarus Ranch. Um, Mankins operated a general store in the area. In 1909, a post office opened, which that's when you know that the town made the big time when they get a post office. By 1914, there was a cattle breeder, uh, three cattle feeding companies where they would feed them out before they shipped them, and two cotton buyers. Around 55 people resided in the town proper. Oil was discovered in the 1920s. Uh, three oil fields were operating 42 wells between 1923 and 1926. And uh, during that time, its population rose to 85 by the late 1920s and stayed at that for a decade. A brick building was built and used as a community center and church during that same period. Methodists were the only religious denomination represented in the area until the Baptist came in in 1936. Um, it then had six businesses in operation. The Methodist church moves over to holiday when a tornado struck the town in 1938. And, uh, then an abandoned church from nearby Bowman, which really isn't there anymore, was moved to the community in 1941. By 1950, the population had risen to 120 and had four businesses operating. And then the post office closed in 1963, and then the following year there were no businesses, and its population had dropped to 50. So everybody moved out of town. So water access improved in the 70s, but the town lots that were still owned by Mangold's estate were not for sale. So really the town was unable to continue growing, and its population was 45 in the 90s and plunged down to 10 in 2000. But the interesting thing, I'm sure you guys are going, why the heck are we talking about Mankins? Well, here it is. Mankins served as the hosting facility or the wintering grounds for the D.S. Dudley Circus 
uh, and Carnival for quite some time, um, all the way up into the 1970s. So this gives Mankins, Texas, the unique distinction of once being able to claim circus activities as their primary source of industry. And then it says from 1914 through the early 1970s, Mankins was the home base of the D.S. Dudley traveling show. So let's talk about D.S. Dudley a little bit. D.S. Dudley was better known as uh, Cheyenne. He was born in 1895 in Gainesville, Texas. He made a name for himself as a rodeo performer and bronc rider, but had dreamed of owning and operating his own show, so in 1914 he purchases a traveling carnival. His work of growing the new business was halted with the outbreak of World War I. Dudley joined the military. He served in Company D, the 133rd Machine Gun Battalion, 72nd Infantry Brigade. Once the war ended, he returned to Texas and set his sights on creating a successful traveling carnival. So Dudley marries a girl from Mankins by the name of Jesse Ruth Wolf. Together, they raised a family and lived the carny lifestyle. The D.S. Dudley show included various rides for kids of all ages, sideshow exhibits, exotic animals, and midway games of chance, and they performed mostly in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska. They traveled and performed eight months out of the year. The show was a family affair. The 1940 federal population census lists Dudley's occupation as manager of his own show, which is kind of cool. He was living next door to his brother, John. John's occupation was an electrician in show business. (laughs) John's brother-in-law, who was living with him, was listed as an apprentice in show business. So that's kind of cool. At the peak of their success, the D.S. Dudley show employed 250 people. Uh, When planning the shows out of state, Dudley often placed advertisements in Billboard magazine looking for temporary help. He required those whom he hired to be sober and reliable. And through these ads, it's possible to get the idea of what types of shows and rides and games that the D.S. Dudley show presented. So... I'm sure you're kind of wondering, where the heck did the chimpanzee and the elephant come into this whole story? Well, if you've stuck with me this long, here you go. So, my wife is a teacher at McNeil Middle School here locally in Wichita Falls. And she worked with a pastor out uh, that was pastoring. So, he was a teacher full-time, but he was also a part-time pastor. And his name was Mickey. And Mickey was the part-time pastor at the Mankins Baptist Church. He since uh, retired, or I guess moved from them, and he's ministering a church uh, up in Oklahoma, something 20 or 25 miles from here. Anyway, so he doesn't pastor this church anymore. But anyway, he had asked us to come out. He was a super cool guy. And uh, he had asked us to come out and visit the church, you know, and come out for some special thing they were having. And we thought, you know, it'd be cool. And it's just a short drive out to Mankins from Wichita Falls anyway. And I'm speaking, and I wish I could remember his name. I'm speaking with this old timer that had lived in Mankins pretty much his whole life. 
And he tells me that Mankins was the only place in Texas that a chimpanzee had been killed by an automobile. <laughs> now, of course, this this piques my interest. I'm like, tell me more, good sir. Tell me more. And so he tells me a little bit about the Dudley, um, the D.S. Dudley show, and how the show folks, as he called them, um, lived there during the winter and, you know, had some animals. The chimpanzee gets loose, runs out onto the highway, and gets run over by a semi. (laughs) As you can imagine, the rest is kind of history. And yeah, so apparently Mankins, Texas has the only, or has the distinction of being the only place in Texas where a chimpanzee was run over by an automobile. Which still makes me laugh a little bit because, uh, when I went to Florida with the Boy Scouts down to Florida Sea Base, apparently there was a cosmetics company that had an island down there and they were doing, you know, some, I don't know, cosmetic experiments on chimpanzees. And anyway, they got shut down. And so they said, what do we do with all the chimpanzees? Well, nobody wanted to kill them. And so they said, you know what? Just leave the chimpanzees on the island. They'll be fine. And eventually they make it over to the mainland and apparently people are running these chimpanzees and monkeys over and everybody gets very upset. So then there's this big trapping thing that goes on anyway. And then I don't know what happened to the monkeys after that. But anyway, that made me laugh. But, you know, uh, in Texas, Mankins, Texas, is where a chimpanzee lost his life to the newfangled automobile. Oh, so that's a terrible story. I mean, but it's funny because when you look around here, you're like, where the hell did a chimpanzee come from? And now you know. So, all right. If you have a super soft heart about animals and you're not already offended by the chimpanzee story, you might consider bidding adieu to this dear old podcast. Now, the next story I tell you is both hilarious in my opinion and also kind of terrible at the same time it just really depends on your sense of humor but i will say before you sign off did you know there's an elephant buried here in wichita falls texas it is in the vicinity of what is now the intersection of brook and kell which is only like eight blocks south of my home So if that piques your interest, I'm going to give you all five or so seconds to kind of decide if you want to proceed with this story. So here we go. Think about it. All right. If you're still with me, hang on to your hats because here we go. Someday, perhaps a work crew laying cable or pipe will unearth a large set of bones near a busy Wichita Falls intersection. This is, I'm reading from the Texas Escapes website. They may think they have found the remains of some prehistoric creature, but they would be wrong. Should a paleontologist be consulted, the expert would readily determine that the bones, while old, did not come from a woolly mammoth, but its evolutionary descendant, the elephant. 
How an elephant came to be buried in Wichita Falls is a story of incredible cruelty, at least by modern standards, that from this distance smells like a shrewd, if not terrible, publicity stunt. Whatever the motivations involved, a bizarre set of circumstances converged on Wichita Falls in the year 1899. So it started when a circus comes to town. And back then, more than a decade before the discovery of oil in Wichita County would transform the place into a boom town, Wichita Falls was just really kind of the sleepy county seat uh, of, you know, it's a cow town. So the arrival of the circus train um, had been a big enough deal but that was nothing compared to the story the circus owner started spreading. The circus company had a killer elephant who was under sentence of death. <laughs> so the animal had been spared after killing one man some years before, but when the pachyderm killed a second person in the circus, the circus proprietor sentenced this elephant to death. At least that was the story. Really, it could be that the animal was probably just getting old and the uh, circus owner figured the publicity attendant um, to executing a killer elephant would be worth a whole lot more money than the hay it took to keep the animal swinging its trunk at the regular circus. So who knows? Um, nobody is still alive to tell us what really happened, but, uh, yeah, anyway, he, he labels this as a killer elephant. It's a man killer. All right. So plastering the town with handbills and, oh my God, if there is anybody here in town that maybe has one of these handbills, I would love to have one or at least take a picture of it. So anyway, he plasters the town with handbills, which isn't very big at that time, the, the town, the circus man called on the good citizens of Wichita Falls to lend a hand in the creature's execution for a price, I'm sure. It had been five years since, you know, local residents had broken the tedium of everyday life by lynching two bank robbers from a downtown telephone pole. So, as you can imagine, the enthusiasm for this scheduled event was probably pretty high. So on the set date, circus handlers walked the condemned animal from the big top to a spot, which was then on the edge of town, which is really the big fat middle of town now. Um, so they, they walk it from the big top to a spot on the edge of, you know, town near Brook, where, you know, it now crosses Kell Boulevard. So handlers stake this trained beast with leg chains. And, uh, you know, it goes on to say whether truly the pachyderm had gone bad or was simply old, this would be the elephant's last public appearance. So everybody in Wichita Falls who had a gun, which was probably everybody, came to the scene. And so uh, one newspaper reported, and this is how they put it, everybody in Wichita Falls 
who had a shooting iron repaired to the scene. There were folks with shotguns, revolvers of various kinds, and rifles. Unfortunately, for those that y'all don't know it, it takes a pretty big gun to kill an elephant. So no one in town had the kind of firepower that it really needed to drop an elephant. So the beast took on more lead than 20 coats of old paint and really after everybody's done shooting at it, seemed not much worse for the wearer. The only noticeable effect, which is totally understandable, (laughs) was its considerable annoyance with those doing the shooting. As you can imagine, the elephant was probably a little pissed off. I would be. So the elephant roared and lunged at its chains, but unfortunately for the crowd, or yeah, I guess fortunately for the crowd, the, the leg irons held. And so, you know, you have this old elephant that's been doing circus stuff for a while. It's getting old. It's been labeled a man killer. And, you know, people come out for this execution. So they start shooting it, which really just pisses the elephant off even more. Shotgun pellets bounced seamlessly and harmlessly off of its thick hide as the beast continued to cry out in fear and rage. So the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty of Animals, not yet having a toehold in good old Wichita Falls, the circus gang comes up with another idea at this point. So nobody has a big enough rifle to put this elephant down Well, crap. (laughs) What are we going to do now? So, there's a railroad track nearby. And with the ready cooperation of the local station master, two switch engines, so two, you know, train engines, are employed to stretch out a heavy chain fastened around the animal's neck. Yeah. Yeah. So they used two trains connected together and a huge heavy chain that's fastened around the animal's neck. And so the killer elephant, if indeed it really was, finally dies of shotgun wounds? No. It dies of strangulation. I mean... Oh, how stupid is this? I can't... I'm sorry... I just laugh because I'm thinking, I mean, I feel bad for the elephant. I really do. And then I kind of feel bad for the citizens and the people that were watching. Because, I mean, they came out to see an execution and I guess they got it. But they're they're thinking that they, they can just shoot the elephant and then nobody can. All they did is piss it off. And so they have to stand there and watch while the elephant gets get strangled by a train. (laughs) I mean, you can't make this crap up. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Oh, hang on, let me compose myself. All right. So, (laughs) the, the story goes on. Safe at last from the possible rampage of this purported man killer elephant. The people of this Northwest Texas community 
they face another not so little problem. Now they have a dead elephant <laughs> that they have to dispose of. Nobody thought about this, apparently. <laughs> so now they got to figure it out. So as city officials are pondering the situation, somebody notices the town scavenger in the crowd. And they, they, they have an idea. They go propose to him that he could have the hide if he would bury the elephant. So, this man starts thinking that the near bulletproof skin would make an excellent roof for his small house at 7th and Austin. And, oh my gosh, I would love to get this guy's name. Maybe I need to go down to the Museum of North Texas History, see if I can figure out this guy's name. But anyway... Because uh, I would love to just be able to say, dude, you're a hero. But he agrees to do what literally was quite a large undertaking. So with the help of his family and I guess other friends and people, he skins the elephant, which I assume took a long, long time. And pff, who knows, maybe some help from the train, um, you know, rolling it over. He digs a hole sufficient enough to contain the body. And somehow, I mean, nobody writes this down. Somehow the carcass gets put into the hole. I'm assuming the train, the, you know, the train is still in the vicinity. The chain is probably stretched out. And so anyway, for a short time, this junk dealer and scavenger has the distinction of having the only elephant skin roof, probably the distinction of ever having an elephant skin roof in Wichita Falls, the state of Texas, and perhaps anywhere in the United States. So he has an elephant skin roof, and I have no doubt that this guy is ecstatic. But fame and utility prove fleeting as it often does because after the first good rain the elephant skin roof shrank like green rawhide does and by that time of course the circus had long since pulled its tent stakes and moved on somewhere else so yeah not only do we have the distinction of having an elephant buried here in wichita falls it it did not die by gunshot wound or some other lavish thing. No, we have the distinction of probably being the only place in Texas where an elephant was strangled by a train. Oh my god, you I'm sorry guys, you just can't make this crap up. Oh lord, it, if I didn't read it online, I wouldn't believe it was true. Oh. So, chimpanzee hit by an automobile and an elephant strangled by a train. That's what I've got for you this week, guys. There you go. Right here in Texas. God, what a great place to live. Oh, if I could travel back in time and see this, I'd, I probably would. 
Oh my gosh, I'm almost got tears in my eyes. What do y'all think? <laughs> Let me know what other weird and off the wall or interesting Texas history you'd like to hear about. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors again, me and American Mortgage Company. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas or Oklahoma, send them my way to themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, Michael Mitchell. Dot com And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile and, of course, help people get into homes of their own. So there you go. Before we put this pony back in the barn, remember to go check out um, my other page that I'm starting up. It's called Your Bucket List, Y-O-U-R Bucket List. Um, I want to help people mark stuff off their bucket list because uh, I get to do that when I get people in homes. Um, but I also want to help in other ways. So we're gonna we're gonna give that a whirl, and I'm I'm gonna be starting that up hopefully in January. Kind of building the audience right now because the more people we have on there, the more connections we're gonna have, and the more people we can help mark things off their bucket list. So go check it out. Um, it does have a, uh, uh, the picture that shows on it is a map with a compass. So make sure you're on the right one. <clears throat> so there you go. Give me a holler at themichaelmitchell.com. T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. Thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.